Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Chronicles 17? You should have discovered by now that sometimes kings in one of the nations, the reign, the reign of kings in one of the nations, either Israel or Judah, would be um, emphasized more than perhaps the other kings, but they pretty much stay in line until we get to Second Kings and and we begin to wave goodbye to the Northern Kingdom because they were not good. Second Chronicles seventeen. We're only dealing here with uh, Jehoshaphat, the the good king in the Southern Kingdom of Judah, and these. Uh, these facts, this, this description of his reign is not seen. I, uh, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, and probably will yet again <laughs> before I pass on. But my first dissertation, my first doctorate was on, it dealt with the northern kingdom of Israel. And... Um, the political and theological uh, demise, uh, probably reversed to that, theological and political demise of the northern kingdom. It was not a theocracy. Judah, where reigned the son of David, was a theocracy. Israel was not the northern kingdom. So there's a lot of intrigue and conspiracy in the northern kingdom there was a, a heavy dose of uh, belief in the true and living God, Yahweh, because the northern kingdom was comprised of the ten northern tribes. But they did not have the temple. They didn't have the ark. They didn't have the priesthood, the high priest, the, the Levites. They didn't have the... Uh, the son of David on the throne. So there was a great difference. And because it wasn't a theocracy and they didn't have the pure sense of worship that the southern kingdom would have had because of the Levitical code and the instructions of that worship and because it was all tied to the city of David and the, the, the tabernacle and then later the temple, Anything they would do would be a copy of some kind. And so that would, let, that would lead them in more quickly into idolatry and, and so forth. And not having the son of David on the throne, a son of David on the throne, would also cause, naturally, would cause uh, a lot of conspiracy and fighting with regard to who gets to be the king. Now, we had a longer time of goodness. Is that, is that the right word? A longer time of a direction that was more pleasing to Yahweh in the southern kingdom than in the northern kingdom. Which is interesting because I... I, I 
I gravitate back so much to the Northern Kingdom because I spent two years uh, studying that portion of Scripture that dealt with the Northern Kingdom and then extra biblical works, historical works, and so forth uh, that speaks... uh, that speaks to the inner workings of of how things happened in the courts there and so forth. Now, one thing comes to our minds when we study Chronicles and Kings, actually started in Samuel. God takes note of the reigns of kings. Outside of these two, we are even taught that God establishes kingdoms and puts kings on them as of how he wants to deal with especially the people in Judah of the southern kingdom. God's in control of that. So we we have to keep that in mind when we study the contrast here between the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of, of Judah, it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess, is the way to say that too, how God takes an interest in the political affairs of these kingdoms in particular and other kingdoms that are mentioned here and there in the Old Testament uh, sporadically here and there but that God knows everything that's going on he's in control of it so we come into this era of Jehoshaphat's good reign in Judah son of Asa remember that guy and he started Asa. He started out good, and he kind of went bad at the end of it all. But Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, takes a firm hand, and heaven takes note. These details are given to us. They're preserved by the Holy Spirit, and they're meaningful. Even, even in the northern kingdom, where things are mostly bad most of the time, and rulers are evil, even there, God takes an interest in that, and we will see this in the weeks ahead, would raise up a prophet like Elijah, for example, when Ahab becomes king in the the northern kingdom. So God is protecting his covenant, his people, his covenant people, and does whatever is necessary uh, according to his purpose and will to care for his own. Now, in 2 Chronicles 17, uh, we, are, we are given an insight to the character Jehoshaphat, the king uh, of the southern kingdom of Judah. So, 2 Chronicles uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, and we're going to begin in Verse 1, and in that, uh, it's good this thing is turned on when I work it. Uh, 
We start out with seeing what the Bible says about Jehoshaphat's character and rule, uh, which, which is the basis, the basis of, of anybody, any leader is his character. Well, that will come out in his rule as it does here in the life of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, reigned in, in the stead of his father. You remember, he's the guy that started out with foot problems, and then it finally just got all over him and he died. He strengthened himself over Israel. Now, that's an important statement. There's a, you know, Jeroboam, he was, he was a strong king in the northern kingdom. There was a war between Israel and, and Judah. Uh, there have been these problems between Israel and Judah. Uh, so much of the land and the resources that Solomon enjoyed are gone with the northern kingdom of Israel. So Jehoshaphat accepts the reality of the way things are here and with, with a, a view to the reality of things, he made sure that he did what he had to do to strengthen Judah over Israel. He didn't want to have to worry about Israel as king. It's bad enough to worry about these, these uh, other nations, these, these pagan nations but he certainly didn't want to have to deal with Israel. Whenever, and this, well, most of the time, when a righteous king in this part of the Bible assumes the throne, their hearts seem to be the same. And among, among the similarities are the desire to strengthen their nation. Knowing that the strength of their nation, namely with regard to armies and so forth, they're more likely to have peace. And in a time of peace, the people can prosper. The economy can prosper. No different. Okay, so I guess what I'm saying is, if you're a leader... You want to, of, of a nation, you want to strengthen yourself and as far as you can, strengthen your, your nation so that your people don't live in fear and so that you don't become subservient to others. This, so, it, so here is how it reads with Jehoshaphat. He stationed an army in all the fortified cities of Judah. Now you may remember Asa took back a lot of the, you know, he... He, he, he became an ally of uh, the Syrian, the Aramean king. And that meant that the northern kingdom lost the support, Jeroboam, they lost the support of Syria, which meant that they were no match for Judah. And they lost the war and Asa goes in and he takes a lot of the land that was, that was strategic for Judah. And he begins to, 
take over what the king, the northern king was doing, which was building towers and, and things to, to try to be a threat to the southern kingdom and to protect the north. Well, he took that over. Once he, once, he, once he became an ally and then he defeated his enemy uh, to the north, he takes over the, the, the building programs where uh, garrisons and towers were being constructed. They were, they were of a military use. Well, he took those over. And that meant that he strengthened his people to a degree. But Jehoshaphat now moves on that and even increases the effort. He stationed an army in all the fortified cities of Judah. And he stationed garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had seized. So he keeps doing the work that his father had started but didn't really complete. And Yahweh, here's the, here's the key to the whole thing. Yahweh was with Jehoshaphat because he went in the first ways of David his father and did not inquire, inquire of the Baalim, of the Baals, the false gods. It's interesting, this is not the first time that the kings of Judah especially are compared to one another and to David as to how they uh, carried out their business uh, and, uh, and their rule, their reign. How did they follow the ways of David? Pretty simple directions here. Just follow the ways of David, your father, and everything, everything works out. Well, this is, see, Yahweh was with Jehoshaphat. Because he went in the first ways of David his father and did not inquire of the Baalim. But he inquired of the God of his father. And he went in his commandments and not like Israel's deeds. Israel did not closely follow the Torah. They did not closely follow the commandments. And on some of the things in the law, the Torah, they couldn't do. Because they didn't have the priesthood. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the labor of cleansing. They didn't have the bronze altar. They didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't have any of that stuff. So naturally, they're going to drift further and more deeply into sin and idolatry than the southern kingdom. So here, we're told that he stayed, that is, Jehoshaphat stayed in the commandments of Yahweh and he did not follow in the way that Israel did with regard to their deeds. They created a lot of stuff, thinking that they would not only appease the people, but appease Yahweh as well. But it never worked. They, they tried to create their own religion. They tried to create their own temple and other things. And of course, it, it didn't work. And they'll fail. We will see along in our study uh, the great fall of the northern kingdom. Yahweh established the kingdom. No other kingdom, no other nation, nothing is ever in this world going to be established unless it is established by Yahweh. In this case, since it has to do with the southern kingdom of Judah, it directly has to do with a son of David and the Davidic covenant. Because the whole world, and we're still, 
we're, we're still under that in the sense that when the millennial kingdom comes about uh, and uh, the, the tribulation is passed, then uh, the son of David will be enthroned uh, and uh, a thousand years of, of uh, the beautiful uh, millennial kingdom. So nations are still being put in and taken out according to the will of Yahweh with regard to the trek of humanity as we move infallibly toward the great kingdom that is yet to come. Yahweh established the kingdom in his hand, in the hand of Jehoshaphat. And all Judah gave a gift to Jehoshaphat and he had abundant riches and glory. The people were happy for King Jehoshaphat. He brings the people into the commandments of the Torah. And we're going to see what else he did here in just, uh, just a second. Keenly aware of the importance of the relationship between the people of God and their God or God and his people. The southern kingdom will not succeed apart from the blessing of Yahweh. Well, no nation will. And Yahweh is watching closely, especially the activities of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, that there was a king of justice and righteousness, that there was a king who wanted the people to return to the Lord and to come under his word brought relief, really. It brought relief and happiness to the people. And so they bring gifts uh, to the king and it said it, it caused him to have abundant riches and glory. And his heart was uplifted in the ways of Yahweh. And he further removed the high places and the Asherim from Judah. These... Uh, these implements of, of paganism, of idolatry that had become so common among the people. He went further. You know, his, his, Asa, his father, started out well like that, but he began to fall out along the way. Well, here Jehoshaphat says, we're going to get the whole thing done. We're not going to just stop halfway. We're going to see to it that all of these high places in Asherim are removed from the kingdom of Judah. But that's not all. He also recognized the importance of teaching the people the word of God. When people are ignorant of the word of God... They really get to a point where they don't know the difference between what is sinful and what's not sinful. The difference between that which pleases God and that which displeases God. They fall into a shadow of ignorance. The very fact that verses 7 through 9 are here te telling us about the teaching program that Jehoshaphat implemented also tells us that the people had become ignorant 
of the Word of God. So let's look at it. The teaching program implemented by the king. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officers, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Obadiah, Zechariah, Netanel, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. Now he had, he had officers and he had religious teachers as well. So whatever level, he used that level to make sure the people who knew the word taught the word. So the officers and now the Levites, Shemaiah, Netanya, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemi Ramot, Jehonatan, Adonia, Tabiah, and Tob Adonia, the Levites, and were with them Elishema and Jehoram, the priests. Okay, so you have officials from the king's administration. You have the Levites, a, a tribe, a priesthood designated for this very thing. And then the priests, which would be the sons of Aaron. Both Levites and priests were expected to have the Torah, the word of God, constantly before the people. And they had them constantly before the people because the people were constantly going to make sacrifices, to attend to the rituals uh, and the feasts and so forth, the holy days and all those things. Those things were opportunities for teaching. Now, apparently that teaching had been uh, abandoned over a period of time. Jehoshaphat is reinstituting this teaching. So he has, he has officials from the kingdom, the Levites, and the priests. The Levites and the priests were supposed to teach the Torah all the time, all day long, to all of the worshipers who came for whatever they came for. Uh, so here they are expected now to go forward and to go outward and not just within the temple, but uh, uh, outward as well and teach the people. And they taught in Judah and with them was the scroll of Torah of Yahweh. Now that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some say because it says it was a scroll, some think that it was, it was mandates from the king and so forth. But the language to me just doesn't allow that. This was the Torah. That's the word over here. The Torah of Yahweh. And they went around throughout all the cities of Judah and they taught among the people. You see, Judah, what would they be taught? Well, they would be taught creation. This is where we came from. There's one God. He's all powerful and almighty. He's the, he is the most high God. Then they would go from there and they would realize that in the course of humanity, not, not too far into the Torah, would be the introduction of Avraim, Abraham. And then, of course, God's call and, and blessing and then Isaac and Jacob and then the 12 tribes and how Judah fits into all of this. And then, and then comes the story of how God miraculously delivers them from Egypt. 
Uh, and then after that, the Levitical code that they are to live by, this is the first time a lot of these people have ever heard it. They didn't realize they were living in such sin. And then numbers, the account of how they left uh, in the time of Exodus and they were put together so well and everything was so well organized and then the people began to murmur and complain and they collapsed into sin and all the trouble that Moses had and how God brought down uh, a judgment upon them and didn't let that generation go into the land of promise. Uh, and then uh, Deuteronomy, the repeating of the law and especially that part of the blessings and the cursings, something that the, the people of God should have certainly uh, understood in that time. That, how many of them had never heard this before? They're being taught the Torah and they haven't heard these things before. Surely there was a conviction that came upon the people. He is our God and we are his people. And we should repent. We should, we should be the people of God. We should be different. He has separated us. He has sanctified us. He has called us out of Egypt and has thus called us out of the world. And has given us this special and rare privilege that we might demonstrate the reality of the true and living God into this world. What a, what a time that must have been. Boy, wouldn't it be great if tomorrow morning Joe Biden stood up and he said with his secretary of education standing there, we're going to begin to teach the Bible. <laughs> From the earliest of our children until the last of them, all the way through college. And the higher they go in education, We'll teach them the Hebrew and the Greek, and then we'll teach them the Latin. We'll teach them about the early church fathers. Well, what about that? Hmm. There would be no small stir among the brethren, would there? And they taught them throughout, look at this, throughout all of the cities of Judah. And they taught among the people. People need to be taught the Word of God. People need to be introduced to the Word of God. People need to be, at least they need to have the opportunity to be introduced to the Word of God. Because it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it makes a difference, you see. And then there's a tribute that is made to Jehoshaphat here in this section. The fear of Yahweh was upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. They did not wage war with Jehoshaphat. When you are a leader of people and you emphasize the importance of the knowledge of the true and living God and the worship of the true and living God and you see to it that the ways of the world via false religion are rejected and it, it, it thus unctions the leader to strengthen the defenses of the land, the world will take note. 
The world takes note of leaders who have an unwavering conviction. Alexander the Great said, make sure I get this right. I would rather fight an army of 10,000 lambs led by a lion than to fight. I would rather fight. I've got that backwards. I knew I would. I would rather fight an army of 10,000 lions led by a lamb than I would to fight an army of 10,000 lambs led by a lion. Did I get that right? Right side of my brain. You are supposed to read everything that I study. (laughs) Well, you get the gist of it, right? I'd rather take on a bunch of warriors led by a wimp than to take on a bunch of wimps who are really led by a warrior. So here it is. Jehoshaphat himself is a man of conviction, obviously. Of deep conviction. He is of such conviction that it doesn't bother him at all to go through the whole land and, and do away with the high places and the, and the Asherim, the, these, silly, these silly seals that dedicate a, a home or a place to some strange God. Well, notice this. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and loads of silver. And the Arabs brought him flocks, rams, 7,700 and goats, 7,700. Okay, so Netanyahu has just become the prime minister. He's not a king, but we'll just, he's the leader of Israel. So what if the, what if uh, Lebanon and Syria and they all just appreciated him so much because of his godliness and so forth that they just started bringing the riches of their land to him. The Philistines, the Arabs, <laughs> Iran, and, and so, what if they, well, some of them started bringing their riches into Israel. Joshua was becoming greater to an unusual degree and he built in Judah towers and store cities. You haven't seen anything like that really and it wasn't at the same level of Solomon. But you haven't seen anything like this since Solomon. So much good stuff was coming in he had to build store, store cities, treasure cities for it. Continued to build towers to make sure that the people were safe. And then finally, the description of Jehoshaphat's army. He had much work in the cities of Judah, men of war, mighty warriors in Jerusalem. This was their number according to the house of their fathers. Of Judah, the officers over the thousands were Adna, the chief, and with him mighty warriors, 300,000. Beside him was <clears throat> uh, Jehonahan, Excuse me, Jehohanan, the chief, and with him 280,000. Beside him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who gave generously to Yahweh, and with him were 200,000 mighty warriors. From Benjamin, a mighty warrior, 
uh, Eyada. And with him armed with bow and shield were 200,000. And beside him was Jehoshaphat. And with him 180,000 advanced guards. These were the ministers of the king. In addition to those whom the king had stationed in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Well, no wonder all the other nations shook and trembled and stopped any kind of advance against Judah. Because this was a man of conviction. They were the people of God. He was a son of David. He had a commission himself from heaven to protect the promise of the Christ of God. And he did the things that were right in his reign as king. We'll stop there and pick it up from there next time. We have our deacon prayer time.